0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of our podcast series, Leadership Forward. My name is Hillary Kennedy, and I'm Program Director for Medicaid Leadership at NAND. NAND is working with CHCS and the Millbank Memorial Fund to bring you this series of discussions which focus on key domains associated with successful public sector leadership. With that said, I'll pass it along for today's discussion. Enjoy! Thanks, Hillary. It's such a pleasure to be here and to be joined um, with two amazing health and human services leaders. Today's conversation is focused on the part of the framework for the public leadership for the public sector leadership that's really around driving and delivering results it's very important uh, that in our public programs, we are focused on making sure that they are meeting the needs of the individuals that we serve. And we're actually delivering the results that are expected of us from stakeholders and from ourselves. And so today, within that area of driving and delivering results, there are really some core competencies that are critical to success in this, in this part of our leadership work. The first is really, how do you manage work? How do you organize your teams and, and manage them how do we measure performance right there's many ways that uh, we can measure performance there are particular ways in which that's important to think about in public programming because some of our goals can be around service it can be around stewardship or it can be around innovation so the goals of measuring our performance or the work of measuring our performance is really critical we also as I've said are trying to do work that improves people's health and improves their well-being and so In the work that we we do to deliver results, it's really important that we focus on health outcomes and in particular on equitable outcomes for all the populations that we serve. We also have to have a balanced organizational perspective. The Medicaid program is a huge program and it has a variety of different um, aspects to it that really require keeping a balanced view. And then we all know that our health and human services programs can be better, and we want to innovate within our work to try and improve them, to continue to meet the needs of those that we serve, and to find the value in the programs so that we can be good stewards of the resources that we have under our jurisdiction. So today we're going to dive into what are these competencies, what does this part of our leadership framework really look like from the perspective of doing this work? And so Cindy and Sue are both with us. I'm gonna allow them each to introduce themselves first and talk a little bit about um, how they uh, had their journey to becoming the leaders that they are today. And so um, Cindy and Sue, I'll turn it over to you. Maybe Sue starting with you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about how uh, you came to be the leader that you are today.
1: Great, thank you so much, Gretchen. So hi everybody, I'm Sue Birch. I'm the director of the Washington State Healthcare Authority And, um, boy, I never envisioned myself in government. I was a nonprofit leader, a nurse executive um, in Northwest Colorado for nearly two decades, doing some really innovative community work, advancing on aging, uh, rural aging services, advancing on public health programs, advancing on all sorts of um, home health, hospice, and really community-based services. We were, I believe, the fourth or fifth visiting nurse association in the nation to convert into a federally qualified health center. That work got a lot of attention both in the state and nationally. And so I was really honored when Governor Hickenlooper chose me to be part of the Colorado um, administration. I served on his cabinet and helped usher in the Affordable Care Act with an amazing team. It's where I crossed paths with Gretchen. She served as our Medicaid director there during my tenure. Colorado was wildly successful and um, from that got a phone call of hey any chance you might want to come join another amazing team and so I came to Washington to join um, the program here the healthcare authority and many of you know Marianne Linda Blad our Medicaid director and so I serve as um, the director or the secretary on the cabinet with the governor, overseeing uh, 2.7 million lives, um, about 1.9 million Medicaid, and the rest are in our public employees and school employees. So we have a commercial offering, and we also have a Medicaid offering. So I have had an incredible honor of working um, with smart teams that are diverse and just i am so honored to still be in this healthcare transformation journey, trying to improve the lives of not just um, first Coloradans and Washingtonians, but really to try to set a lead for the nation. And that's enough about my journey.
2: Thanks, Sue. Cindy? Uh, well, like Sue, I've never um, imagined myself in the position that I'm in starting out. Um, um, I actually started out as a school teacher. Um, got rifted pretty early um, and was getting married and needed a, a job and found myself working at the local community mental health uh, um, um, association. And while I was working there and I worked with, um, a, a, had a caseload, worked with a number of clients and and found that I loved it, went back to school, got my master's in social work, um, worked community mental health for um, a good a good while and then decided to go to state government with their Bureau for Behavioral Health. Um, worked there for about five years. And then um, a friend of mine was working at the Medicaid agency. And she said, you know, Cindy, if you really want to make the big change, you know, the big systems change, you need to come over to Medicaid. So I started out at the Medicaid agency about 15 years ago and um, started out working on these um, transformation and real choice grants were really about home and community-based services and, and moving additional um, in individuals um, out of institutional settings, really had a passion for it. Um, this kind of worked my way up through the Medicaid system for the past 15 years. I've served as deputy for a number of years, but I've been commissioner for the last six years. And honestly, you know, it, out of all the work, is, um it's tiring work, it's endless work, but it's the most rewarding work that I think anybody can have because West Virginia, um, with our state demographics, the Medicaid agency roughly serves about a third of West Virginians. And so um, when we make changes in health policies, it really has a true impact on the entire state. So it's just a very rewarding job. And um, even though I never pictured
0: myself in this job, I'm very glad I am here. Terrific, thank you. So. I find it so interesting that, that you both started in sort of individual caring professions, right? As nurses and, and and as a teacher, Cindy, how have you connected sort of your lived experience of actually working with people um, to delivering and driving results at your program levels, right? I mean, it, it's not easy to stay focused on those that we serve at the highest level of these administrative positions because there's just so much to to manage and so many different dynamics. But the two of you in particular have that grounding of that that service that that you started in. How have you connected that and sort of helped that to be a guiding principle as you're driving your teams to deliver results?
1: So I guess I'll
0: go first
1: and just say that um, as a nurse, um, I was trained in kind of whole person and person-centeredness. And also that because I think I am an immigrant from an immigrant family, I think that I always understood very much so that health is so far beyond healthcare, care. And so I think that we have a duty to always keep our members or clients or patients in mind, but that we have to constantly be aware of um, the economic impacts that are hitting them, the social impacts and then the environmental impacts. And unless we can blend that into our work, And help our teams understand that um, we won't really gain on the complex problems and challenges that we face. And we need all of our cross-sectorial partners, whether it's transportation or natural resources or our human service partners. We need that cross-systems thinking to um, rise to these
0: complex challenges. Terrific. Thanks, Sue. Cindy.
2: Yeah. So. You know, I think that the grounding I had when I worked at the at the mental health agency and really seeing that a lot of the work that I was doing with, was um, really social determinants of health before it became the key buzz phrase. You know, 20 years ago, I was really working on making sure that their housing was secure, um, making sure that, you know, that they had, you know, food, you know, if we, we needed, you know, they were, a lot of my clients were SSI recipients. Um doesn't go a long ways. We were hitting the food banks, those kinds of things, and making sure that you had your basic needs met before you had to worry about being compliant with your medications, right? So I think that, that grounding and really um, working with um, Medicaid members um, helped me when I went through the leadership and as picking our teams, because one of the things that I think as, as leadership of a Medicaid agency is that you wanna pick the right employees to help you run that agency. And you really want to pick pick individuals and really target individuals that have the same values and um, empathy with regards to, to our clients that we serve. So um, I think without that, I probably wouldn't be as good of a leader as I am. I think it helped me um, tremendously to make sure that you know we see everybody as individuals and, and humans that are, are worthy of, of the best care, um, no matter their situation.
0: Terrific. Well, both of you at the, at the head of your agencies have been on the forefront of responding to the public health pandemic that is coronavirus. And so as you have thought about um, the ways in which you've had to shepherd very rapid changes, right, the, the transition to, to telehealth and to telemedicine, Um, quick changes in home and community-based services, rules, and regulations. I mean, it was really the lift that Medicaid programs had before them to respond to the public health pandemic was really remarkable. How have you pushed your teams to, you know, rise to that challenge and deliver the results that were needed for the time, but also to find the opportunity to innovate within that? Um, You know, everyone always sees crisis as an opportunity to also maybe shake it up a bit for the ways in which we were hoping to change programs anyway. So, Cindy, maybe starting with you, how have you um, led your teams during this time to really deliver on what was base needed, but also find the opportunity to innovate?
2: Well, I think one of the things, um, you know, it was very easy. I mean, we're very, you know, goal oriented. You know, this is what's happening. We need to make sure we're delivering people's health care. We're delivering it in in their home. Um, We can't, you know, we're going to do everything we can to minimize the spread. We have all these different authorities. And of course, um, you know, we had to work with CMS on, on utilizing those authorities, but it was really important for us to put the team together and really think out of the box. What can we do to not only support our members out there making sure they're getting the health care that they deserve but also our providers and our other stakeholders to make sure that the system didn't crumble at the same time because you had everything kind of locked down immediately and no utilization um, very little utilization at a lot of your provider agencies and so one of the things that we did was really um, look at what were the opportunities we could do as a state to make sure people were getting um their health care and of course telehealth is um is something that we looked at first um like most states and one of the um nuances of west virginia is we really do not have broadband in lots of areas of the state because we're a very rural state a very mountainous state and so we knew early on that that was going to be a huge problem so we immediately went to telehealth in all modes, meaning even if it's only over the telephone, um, is acceptable. And that has really um, saved a lot of our, our members' relationships with their doctors, especially in our behavioral health community, being able to reach out um, to, to individuals. And then the other thing is, how are we going to make sure we have a provider infrastructure when the pandemic kind of slows down and people are going back to normal? We need to make sure that Agencies are still there and they're still surviving. So we quickly did a lot of things with our, um, it's called the Appendix K for our home and community-based services to make sure that we could retain those workers and did some retainer payments and things like that. But one of the opportunities that we're really um, looking at is f- for us. We had recently um, cleared our IDD waiver waitlist, um, and so we were actually pulling on a 1,000 individuals onto that waiver at the same time the pandemic hit. So we wanted to make sure that that process didn't stop and allow some um, phone um, assessments. And then also to streamline our age and disabled waiver program to make sure that we could get individuals that were in our nursing facilities or individuals that were wanting to get in nursing facilities into that program as an alternative, because as we know, the nursing facilities were hit um, and are still being hit pretty hard with the, the pandemic. And so we did some um, stats really quick for the governor and got some additional monies and bumped up our, um, our home and community-based programs to serve more people.
1: Cindy, thanks for those great comments, and I would tell you, Washington did some of those similar things, but I think um, one of the things that I would really encourage people to think about as we continue to go through kind of these uncertain times is we, um, being the epicenter of COVID-19 when it first began, rapidly redesigned um, meaning we we created whole new types of meetings. We put together sprinter groups and these weren't necessarily our usual teams. We looked to the people in the organization that loved fast kind of um, moving. They were okay with a lot of ambiguity and variables and I handpicked them into what we call a sprinter group and they still um, have a tempo of meeting and organizing um, the efforts Now, that didn't upend my executive team because that team was being a steady and carrying on, but we had to jettison some old, slower processes. The other thing I think is really important in all of these times is I think it's really important that leaders exhibit humility and great transparency. We clearly just didn't know. And so I think, you know, I I let my guys know that yeah, it was pretty crazy when I was getting calls from the Pentagon or dealing with military early in the morning. And so I do think it's really important to just constantly check yourself as a leader and think about what am I doing to either ease, you know, the stress and crisis uh, or what can I be doing less of that is creating more stress and crisis. So I would tell you that humility and transparency are really important. It is so okay to not know what the heck to do, but you do need to know who to ask and who to get in a room. So I I think the strength of teams and the strength of the process is what's just really critical to think about in your leadership tool belt. And the other thing is I would just tell you, um, because this is, I hope this is not foreboding, but I'm pretty sure it is. Tenacity and persistence. If you guys knew how many times we were texting with um, CMS administration and being persistent and the squeaky wheel to get what you need, you just have to really have the courage to do these things and then really the drive, the tenacity to keep after them and to really keep kind of cycling out your team members so that you have the right mix of innovation, but also implementation. And The biggest thing, though, in all of this is we have a moment in time where we don't want to let this crisis and the opportunity go. So I would just tell you to really think about urgency and how you continue to use our public health emergency status to get things done that you've been wanting to get
0: done. Terrific, Sue. It also occurs to me that that what we observed from the association is a lot of hard work being done and then sometimes that idea was no longer relevant right the pandemic shifted we didn't need alternative care sites you know something we learned something new it isn't about you know spread on surfaces it's now you know only uh, respiratory spread so helping your teams know when to pivot is also another really important leadership challenge so that you don't stay focused on a task for too long that no longer relevant although it was really relevant at the time you launched that work so sue did you have to do that at all with some of those sprint sprinter teams that you mentioned oh we're still
1: doing that and um we're also doing that with our federal partners because when we hear of an opportunity when somebody from the cdc calls and says hey you know your medicaid agency ought to be looking at it deeper over at department of health and throw that in um we continue to pivot, Gretchen, and really look opportunistically at where we can gain momentum. And a really good example is we have a pretty significant 1115 waiver, demonstration waiver, a Medicaid transformation waiver that was um, nearing its end. And we were able to negotiate an extension um, and to really, you know, pivot that into kind of closure. You know, before there was just a lot of uncertainty and we are able to, now that we have that Medicaid transformation waiver kind of stabilized, we're able to move into the, well, what's the next 1115 that we need to get on deck that we could, um, because of COVID and because of equity and the George Floyd situation, could we create some new gains with a new 1115? So you're absolutely right, kind of knowing um, when some of these good things um, hit the wall and they stick and you can leave them, And then moving on to the next thing is really, really important.
0: Terrific. It also occurs to me that, you know, Cindy, you've been very open in our other conversations about the opioid epidemic and its devastation on communities across West Virginia and how you all have had to respond. So you mentioned inequities. And I know Washington State is an incredibly diverse state, uh, from the number of tribes that you have to the different population, Asian populations that um, have settled in the communities across the state, as well as others. How have you balanced um, the need that, you know, your organizations were already focused on some of those health disparities and some of the, you know, dif- disproportionate impacts on communities because your Medicaid programs and, and that's part of what you're focused on. How have you balanced and sort of seen opportunity for those underlying issues you were working on and how you've been responding to the pandemic. Cindy, I don't know if you can share about your experience in West Virginia.
2: Yeah, yeah, Gretchen. And so one of the things that we did early on, like I was saying is, you know, we promoted telehealth, we lessened any kind of policy restriction that made people come into an office. So, um, you know, one of our huge initiatives is our 1115 SUD waiver. And to address our opioid epidemic and so we lessened our restrictions on on the counseling requirements for MAT because we didn't want people to feel that they had to come into offices we also opened up telehealth but a lot of times for um, somebody who's who's suffering from OUD telehealth might might not be the the best um, form of delivery and so what we did see and what we have found um, and because we continue to monitor all of our programs, at the same time you're monitoring for the crisis, is we saw a spike in overdose deaths um, because of the isolation, people being at home, people not being able to interact with their supports. And and so we really um, partnered with our Office of Drug Control Policy and our Bureau for Behavioral Health and our um, Office of Public Health to really do a, a naloxone distribution campaign and, and, get it, and get it back out there and um, and kind of put that back out there as a real issue and getting more naloxone on, on the streets so we can avoid some of that. But those are things that while it, it's, it's a fire hose coming at you at the first of the pandemic and it's like COVID, 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 everybody's focusing, but at the same time, you have to keep everything else running. And so you have to really you know, support your teams in doing their day-to-day work and their day-to-day monitoring and making sure nothing's falling apart on the back end while you're concentrating on the changes for the pandemic. And so you're really asking so much of your team members and your, your, your team about you know, a balance. And so it, you know, one of the things that we've been very careful with in West Virginia is to kind of nurture and take care of our staff. Um, because they went from being in the office every day, being able to interact to everyone working remotely and making sure um, that you know, teams that were already busy were even double busy and making sure that nothing fell through and really having that connection, having um, staff Zoom meetings, having time just to, for staff to express to, to their coworkers of what's going on in their lives has really helped everybody to kind of stay balanced and make sure we get all that work done.
0: Terrific, Yeah, Sue?
1: yeah. so Washington has um, 29 tribes, and we have, as you said, Gretchen, some pretty major diversity in our urban areas. In our rural areas, we have kind of the opposite um, challenges where things are really pretty homogenous. And so during COVID, we ran into some pretty um, significant needs around communications and the communications being very, very different. So on, you know, a third of the state, we were saying, just wear your mask and just understand social isolation is really important. And the other part of the state, we were clearly in Seattle dealing with other bigger issues that were um, very unique with language barriers and whatnot. And so I would tell you that the communications in this um, arena are really, really critical and that you really have to get creative and work with your partners. Our tribal partners were really great too about how we customized a lot of the communications that they needed in particular. The other thing that we did was we felt really compelled um, to move beyond our integrated Um, behavioral health, our integrated managed care work. We had just were um, finishing up kind of our move to integrate behavioral health services into physical health services. And so we made a commitment of standing up um, Zoom like communities didn't have um, broadband and which families needed phones. So we dispersed 5,000 phones through partnership with Verizon's and FEMA and our military partners. And then we stood up all sorts of um, broadband capabilities because the equity issues were just so profound um, during all of this. So we had to kind of overcompensate. But I would just tell you to really think about communications and how you create some public-private partnerships. Um, I will tell you, our friends at the Department of Commerce are becoming some of our best buddies because boy, do they know how to deploy some other resources that just weren't, you know, the usual suspects that we think of in healthcare and healthcare delivery. Um, So, yeah, those are some ways that we leaned in on equity. Um, The only other thing I'll say is that the Western states, five states, um, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, and Colorado, our governors aligned, and we were shameless about trying to create – some policy uniformity, and we did that on telehealth and then began to be petulant about uh, calling CMS all the time and saying, well, here's what we're thinking with telehealth, and we're doing the same thing on equity right now because we think that the more we can be proactive and set kind of policy aligned policy directions. Um, so I guess in summary there, I'm saying, think about strange bedfellows. Think about how you get other aligned um, folks to vision with. You know, kind of go... Go big and bold, or go home. <laughs> so, to drive your your needs around equity and um, how we service uh, all folks of all color.
2: Yeah,
0: and and it strikes me in both of your responses, you know, again, the focus of this is how do you drive and deliver results. And you know, Cindy, you're you said. We pivoted, we went back to making sure that Naloxone was available. So, you know, we've known for a long time that there's communications limitations and, you know, use this as an opportunity to get Zoom licenses and get phones in people's hands. So there's lots of ways we can think about delivering results. Some of them are very practical. Others are those sort of long-term value-based payments, those kinds of things that we also think about. So as we wrap up our conversation here, I guess that's where I wanted to, to turn our attention is sort of how do you all imagine? You know, you've typically been able to manage, as you said, Cindy, you know, you're managing to quality metrics that you've set or dashboards that you've created, you know, promises that you've made in contracts. All of that has been disrupted. How are you helping folks figure out sort of how to define and capture the results that you've been driving? Um, during this time? And how do you think you'll do that in the future as things continue to be sort of disrupted?
2: Yeah. So I think one of the things that was really important, and then as soon as, as soon as we kind of started making like these huge sweeping policy changes that typically would take at least a few months to, to kind of like vet and make sure this is what we want to do. And we were literally doing them in a matter of, you know, a day and two days and posting and, um, it was kind of like, okay, we're gonna be making uh, a lot of real system changes. How are we gonna know if this is effective or not? And so uh, one of the first things we did was, you know, we, we partnered with our university, West Virginia University, to analyze um, our, and research, you know, what was effective or not. So, so we've got them on board, but at the same time, we really wanted it down at the program manager level and for them to be giving us feedback as well, and of course our other partners, our MCOs, and also our members, um, we really wanted to outreach um, with some of our stakeholder groups. And do the members like it? Do they like having their therapists on the telephone? Is that effective for them? Um, some of those things, and so, um, so we kind of went went about it in a variety of different ways. That um, that way we'll be able to, with the research that WU does, we'll be able to show um, uh, policymakers, the legislature, yes, this is effective, this is why the Medicaid program needs to continue this, or here's an addition of this service, this is why this service has been effective, and you're getting a really good return on investment, but at the same time, we'll have it down to the program level and to the member level to make sure it's a policy we want to continue. I think COVID, you know, if there are silver linings in having a pandemic, it is the fact that it does show that the healthcare care system um, can move on a dime when it needs to. And so because it, it's typically, you know, people will say, well, it takes forever to get a policy change and those kinds of things. Well, you know, it, it usually does. But if you really need to do it and you have to have it done, it is possible. So that is one of the silver linings, I think.
1: Wow, Cindy, you are so right. We are um, oftentimes so into over-engineering or overthinking, and we have to get into a little bit more of a just-do-it attitude with what needs to happen. we got to accelerate, lean into these curves. But I also want to just say that it's really important. You're in your role for a reason, and you need to first and foremost – Get your head straight about your own clarity of your purpose and what you're doing with your team. You gotta take care of yourself first. And that's why you got these great coaches with your leadership. And that's certainly why you're listening to this podcast. And you gotta really have some confidence about I'm here for a reason. Secondly, you've picked some great people on your teams. And if you haven't, you need to think about getting more great people on your teams over time. But you really need to. In crisis, you need to, and and you know this from uh, running teams, or again, you wouldn't be in your position, but you got to really think about who are your strengths and do I have the right team members in the right places? And you got to just be, have good clarity about what you want to get done quickly and help keep um, managing some of those roles and um, be shameless about driving with urgency to the outcome that's needed. So, Take care of yourself first, lean on your people, delegate, 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 and also nurture. I mean, I think in all of this, and as we've had to move in our shop, you know, we moved 1100 people to telework. We said, you are our first priority of we need you strong so that you can take care of all Washingtonians. And so you got to really kind of co-manage where you are taking care of yourself, but you're taking care of your team and they will perform for you and you will kind of course correct as you go along but never ever lose sight of the great people you're working with and the power of them getting um outcomes that they will be really excited to be part of because it's work that you probably already were lining up in some of your visioning you're just doing it faster
0: terrific well thank you i think that does bring us to the end of our time and i want to express my gratitude on behalf of the people in West Virginia and in Washington, but also for the national leadership that you all provide um, and the the paths that you blaze for the rest of us. um, It's really appreciated. So thank you very much. And uh, that will conclude our podcast for today.